0: You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 340. I know why we're drawn to music. If the lyricist does it right, he can say exactly what we're thinking. And then we identify with the message and use the song to comfort us, to commiserate, or to celebrate. And the opening lines of Ryan Stevenson's song, Amadeo, Still My God, they sure do reflect my week. Life can take our breath away. Tragedy can leave a wake. A broken heart won't ever beat the same. Pain can stop us in our tracks. Losing what we can't get back shaking the foundations of our faith. These sentiments seem awfully like some I find in scripture too, but before we dive into God's word, let's listen. No matter what's in my way, As I'm writing and recording this week's episode, we are coming off of the devastation that Hurricane Laura has wrought from southwest Louisiana all the way on northward. And uh, my mom and grandmother live in Lake Charles, which was one of the epicenters, right? The the eye passed right over um Their homes. Uh, They had evacuated to stay with us. Uh, We actually went in on Friday after the storm to survey the damage and empty their refrigerators and freezers and all of that so that they wouldn't be ruined, but we weren't ready. Uh, The devastation is unspeakable. Power poles snapped in half, just covering the roads, the right of ways you can't get past. Hundred year old oak trees ripped up by the roots, limbs, devastation everywhere. I I mean, I don't think we saw a roof in the area that was not damaged. I mean, some may have just had a few shingles blown off, but others with entire roofs in their backyard just blown off or trees uh, falling on houses and glass windows in a high-rise building shattered. I I mean, just I could go on and on. Now, my grandmother's upstairs apartment was spared. Complete devastation. Uh, Water was trickling in from some of the missing shingles in two of the rooms, but her car remained unscathed. It's sitting under the carport. Luckily, nothing fell on that, and the structure itself was still standing and really didn't have a, a ton of damage beyond that. But Uh, Not so with my mom's house. Now, three 50-foot pine trees snapped off about 30 feet up high and just crashed with full force onto her home, uh, breaking the center beam, crushing and impaling basically every room but one. And uh, just such widespread tragedy, not just obviously it was very personal for our family, but just the widespread uh, tragedy. It just reminds me of a scene in Job When he lost everything in one day in Job chapter one, verse 13, it says there's a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, my mom didn't lose everything in one day, uh, but it it sure does feel like it. She is going to be relocating to live closer to me. So not only has she lost her home and most of its contents, but now she has to find a new church home and make new local friends and find new doctors. And there's all these millions of details that kind of pop into her mind every day, just overwhelming her and causing her great sorrow and all, all of the people who've been affected by this tragedy, of course, it's personal, but my Facebook feed is just filled with friends and family that have all been affected um, in this area. And, and of course, other tragedies around the world where people are affected by great loss like this. And th- they could have written the words in Job chapter three and many more phrases of sorrow and anguish, anguish throughout the book. But it, in verse 24, it says, my sighing comes instead of my bread and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Uh, it's just been really hard. And yet, in, even Job, in the midst of, of many words, declares this in chapter 13. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Basically saying what our song is declaring. Despite my misery and tragic circumstances and unimaginable loss, Yahweh is still my God and so I had my scripture direction for the week both from circumstances and then inspiration from our song so I have actually read job many times before but if you've never read it before I encourage you to make this next week or two your call to read it for yourself and, and I don't want you to ever take scripture out of context but especially in this book of the Bible it will be very important to read it from beginning to to end. And yes, that is going to be an investment, but it will be worth it. And actually following two of my bites, uh, reading in context and reading, keep on reading. If you read it f- all the way through into the end, th- those will follow two of my bites. Now, bite, uh, B-I-T-E stands for Bible Interaction Tool Exercises. And these are just various exercises that I pull out to make my time in God's Word effective and uh, kind of keep it, mix it up a little bit. Now, some bites take more effort and intention than others, but all of my bites are intended to help you interact with God God's Word in fresh ways. So, but before you dive into Job, I want you to consult an outside resource. Now, that's another bite, by the way, consulting outside resources. But if you've been a longtime listener, you might be thinking, what are you saying? Michelle always wants us to read scripture for ourselves before consulting outside resources. In this case, however, I really feel like this resource will give you a foundation to stand upon while reading the text so that you don't really get swept away with any confusion. Um, I recommend watching the Bible Project overview video on the book of Job. Now, I'm going to link to it in the show notes at michellekneesat.com forward slash 340. If you are a subscriber, however, the show notes conveniently land in your inbox in an email every Monday morning. So I just encourage you, go ahead and subscribe at michellekneesat.com and get those show notes in your inbox without even having to go search or request it every week. Now, the overview video on the book of Job by The Bible Project can also be found at their website, BibleProject.com, or on YouTube. It is only 11 minutes, and if you've never watched one of these videos before, they use narration and drawings to tell the big ideas or the big story of the books that they're teaching on, in this case, Job. Uh, As a brief overview for our purposes today, I want to tell you kind of the, the overall outline of the book in case you're not familiar with it. So the opening narrative, by the way, is not the point of the book, but it does set the stage for all of the speeches that follow, speeches that are made by Job and Job's friends and ultimately God himself. But the opening narrative describes Job and his fairly cush and blessed life. He's described Kind of as an overall pretty great guy who has an overall pretty great life. And then we're ushered into the throne room of God. And we read about Satan suggesting that Job fears the Lord uh, as a direct correlation of to the blessings that he has. And so God allows Satan to have kind of a heyday of destruction on Job's life the the portion of the narrative that we've already read and then when job's response to all of that dest- destruction and tragedy was naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return the lord gave and the lord has taken away blessed be the name of the lord Well, then Satan then suggests that if Job would suffer in his body, that he would curse the Lord. So it's not enough just to lose his stuff that maybe now he needs to suffer in his body. And so the Lord allows Satan to inflict great physical suffering. But even in that, Job will not curse the Lord. In fact, asking, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Now all of this sets up Job's lament um and also his I'm going to say quote unquote wisdom from his friends Job's responses to their wisdom and ultimately God's response to all of them near the end of the book so Many of the study notes that I referenced suggested that Satan, the Satan referenced here, is the same Satan that is referenced um, as the evil one. You know, evil one in Genesis, the 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 serpent in Genesis, the fallen angel angel that tempted Christ is found throughout Scripture. One source, though, I read suggested that while it could be Satan, the that full orbed evil being called by the same name in the New Testament, it could also be. The Hebrew word, the Satan, indicating the one opposed, merely giving an opposing view to set the stage for the narrative and assumptions spoken and debunked along the way. So I'm going to go ahead and link to those articles where I read some of that. So if that's something that you're like, huh. I've never heard that before. I want to go read that article. You're welcome to do that as well. It, it was just something new that I had not heard. So uh, Hebrew Bible scholar John Walton puts it this way. The Satan, or the Satan challenges God's policy of rewarding the righteous by suggesting that it corrupts their motives and proves them to be less righteous. This accusation gives the book an interesting twist for while we might be inclined, along with Job and his friends, To spend some time asking why righteous people suffer, the Satan turns the question upside down and asks why they should prosper. In this way, the book gives us the answers we need to a question we rarely think to ask rather than the answers we thought we wanted, and that's really kind of the gist of what you as you read Job, you are going to. And if you've ever read it before, you are like, "Yeah, that's exactly right." It's, uh, it's it's answering something that wasn't asked, um, and it's not answering the thing that Job um, thinks he wants, the answer that he thinks he wants. In fact, as the Bible Project teaches, the book of Job doesn't unlock the puzzle of why bad things happen to good people; rather, it does invite us to trust God's wisdom when we do encounter suffering, rather than trying to figure out the reasons for it. And and it goes on to say, when we search for reasons, we tend to either simplify God, like Job's friends do here, or like Job, accuse God, but based on limited evidence. So the book is inviting us to honestly bring our pain and our grief to God, and then trust that God actually cares and that he knows what he's doing. And that is what I hope for my mom, and that is what I hope for you, that you are able to honestly bring your pain and grief to God and trust that he actually cares and that he knows what he's doing. So as you read Job for yourself, remember that Job and his friends, they make many speeches, kind of taking up the majority of the book. And when you're reading, be reminded that their words are not to be thought of as a word from God. All right. So I know that those words are in the Bible and that God's words are true. But they're, but God says at the end of Job that his friends were wrong. And so you can't read their speeches. And, and, and some of the stuff that they say is correct. Some of the stuff they say is biblical. It is revealed elsewhere. Different characteristics of God. But their ultimate conclusions and assumptions are wrong. And so Fee and Stewart write even though Job is more on target than the others, they all say things that carry enough truth to be dangerous, but their speeches are not God's words. He speaks only at the end when all human voices have been silenced. All right, so now another bite that may help you tremendously this week is to read this poetic wisdom book out loud. You can put the passion and the sarcasm and the self-righteousness into your voice as you read. It will be a much more satisfying experience than skimming it with your eyes. So I encourage you to try to read it out loud. Now, one of the key themes throughout this book is the inaccurate belief of Job's friends in what is known as retribution theology. Now, gotquestions.org teaches us that retribution theology is basically the idea that you get what you deserve. That God, God sees to it that the good people get the good things in life and the bad people get bad things. And God punishes people in this world in direct response to their actions. Retribution theology says, for example, if you get cancer it's a sign that God is punishing you for something bad you've done. Or if your business prospers, it's a sign that God is pleased with you. Retribution theology is an overly simplistic interpretation of life's events that makes assumptions about God's intentions. And God debunks it in his speech in Job. So you'll see that as you read it for yourself. The problem is that we all know good people that have had bad things happen to them. You know, one of my mom's friends called and said, "God must be really angry." Uh, they were talking about the storm and the damage that was left and all this other stuff. and And job's friends may have agreed with her assessment. just just read their speeches to see how they just assumed that Job had sinned and that his suffering was a direct consequence. And uh, they also assumed that retribution theology is the only way God can be a just God because if good people suffer for no reason, then they could not see how God was good and just. That is why Job's friends are so adamant that Job did something wrong, which we know is not the case from the prologue and the epilogue both found in this story. So the problem for Job is that he believes in retribution theology as well, which is why he is so distraught and confused and ultimately challenges God in this like answer me sort of fashion, his accusation against God seems to reveal that he believes God's dropped the ball in running the universe and because of of this neglect that Job has had to endure some unjust suffering because it's like God kind of turned his head for a second and everything went, you know, haywire over while he wasn't looking. Uh, in addition, Job doesn't really know what he's asking for when he demands that God uses that strict principle of retribution to reward every good deed and punish every bad one. In theory, it kind of sounds right, you know, but in ex- execution, it would really create a world where nobody would ever have a chance for trial and error, or more importantly, for growth and change. And so it it seems just and righteous. Uh, it seems right, but it's not. And God kind of shares that with him as he moves forward. But Job wants an answer and boy, does God answer in chapter 38, where he begins by saying the Lord, uh, verse one, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Now the Bible project uh, the blog summarizes God's response this way. Again, I'll, I'll link to that article. But he said, The Bible Project says, God's response is indirect and it shows how his attention is actually on every single detail of the operations of the universe. In fact, God is privy to all kinds of perspectives and details that Job has never even imagined and never will. This First speech makes clear that God does know everything that transpires in his world and his perspective on the universe has a wider range than any human will ever have. Now, I'll never forget the year that I had an aha moment when studying the book of Job. I never, I, I never really understood it before, uh, and I don't know that I, I still yet understand it, um, but I feel like God's constantly meeting me here every time I read it. But I'll, I, that was the moment when I saw that Job wanted to know why, and God's answer was not why, but God's answer was actually a revelation of himself. And so ultimately, he is the answer. And in fact, we can't handle the truth and not, not like I can't handle the truth that God allowed bad things to happen to Job. Like it was some sort of cosmic game. I'm talking about, we literally can't handle the truth. We're finite and God is infinite. We are not, we are created beings and he is the creator. We are not capable uh, of handling the truth, the, the massive perspective that God has. Now, in closing, I love how Hebrew Bible scholar John Walton puts it in his commentary on Job. It says, God's answer to Job does not explain why righteous people suffer because the cosmos is not designed to prevent righteous people from suffering. Job questioned God's design and God responded that Job had insufficient knowledge to do so. Job questioned God's judgment, uh, justice, and God responded that Job just needed to trust him and that he should not arrogantly think that God can be domesticated to conform to Job's feeble perceptions of how the cosmos should run. God asks for trust, not understanding, and states the cosmos is founded on his wisdom, not his justice. Ah, so what's next? Well, read the book of Job for yourself, but before you do, go ahead and watch that Bible Project overview video. Try reading the text out loud for dramatic effect. I think you'll really find this makes a difference. And then remember the question Job is asking is not the question God is trying to answer. Take the text in as a whole and know that you can trust God in the most trying of circumstances. And then while you're in God's Word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, Michelle at com. Hop on Twitter at MichelleKneezat or Instagram at or on Facebook, Michelle L. Kizat, and we can talk about what you're learning. Now, if you haven't joined the 30-Day Music Challenge yet, I highly recommend it. The challenge is to listen to exclusively to Christian music for 30 days. You're never too late to jump in. Just submit your name and email address to com forward slash 30-Day Challenge and you're in. Now, before I tell you what song will be Featured next week. I want to thank any new subscribers who've subscribed recently, like Cherise from South Carolina, Chantal from South Africa, Jordan from Pennsylvania, and Amy from Illinois. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website will benefit from a one page resource of my top five bytes that I've used on the podcast. It's a great place to start. Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You get an email recap of the week's episode, as I mentioned, and you get instant access to some of the extra resources that I create from time to time. All of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michelleneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? Well, this encourages me, but it also helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Of course, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michelleknizat.com, through iTunes, or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using Promises by Maverick City to lead us to scripture. This was a recommendation by my listener, Jordan. So thanks for sharing it with us, Jordan. And if you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michelleknizat.com forward slash 340. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation.